Uh, what a great variety of worship and styles and uh, energy as we've worshiped together already uh, this morning. We've been prepared for this time to hear the Word of God. This is a day significant for uh, several reasons. First, it's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. We're here to worship God uh, and to give Him praise and glory for all that He's done in our life. Uh, secondly, it's, it's uh, the end of October. It's Halloween. That's, uh, that's hard to believe. It's on a Sunday, right? I uh, thank everybody who made uh, last Wednesday night, our Family Fun Fest, a great success for all the trunk or treat stuff that was set up out there. Fantastic response to that, and we uh, appreciate so much everybody who made that a success. Uh, the third thing about significant about this day, it's Stewardship Commitment Day. Uh, we've gone through the process of having our 2022 budget that we call our financial plan of ministry. I presented to us, we voted to approve it, and then you had commitment cards and a letter mailed to you asking for you to make your stewardship commitment. And again, through the COVID uh, things that we're concerned about, uh, we're not placing the cards on the altar table to pray over them, but uh, you will put them in baskets as you leave. There are extra commitment cards in the atrium if you didn't uh, bring yours with you, didn't, for some reason didn't receive one maybe. So significant for several reasons. Earlier I was asked, are you going to preach a good sermon today? Are you going to preach a great sermon today? I said, well, probably not. And the reason for that is because when you come talk about stewardship and money in the life of the church, most people don't think that's great, right? You don't think that's great. And then they all want to say, well, where's the gospel in that? If you haven't heard the gospel today and all the music that's been proclaimed to you, uh, you're not hearing well. You're not hearing well. The gospel has been proclaimed. And the gospel, the gospel is in stewardship as well. Because God gave his all for us in Christ, and he calls us then to give back to him in response because of what he's given to us. So it's strange the way that we are fascinated by money and by wealth, isn't it? And the wealthy, the lifestyle, that, what was that show, The Rich and the Famous? You know, we, that, for some reason, they kind of capture our attention, and, and we're just fascinated by wealth and by money. But when we come to money and the life of the church, that's not so fascinating. You, you want to put a quietus on a, on a life group fellowship time? Bring up, talk about tithing. Do that, do that next time you got your life group together and say, let's talk about how we've come to make a decision about being good stewards and about tithing. Boy, I say, oh, it's time to go. Let's clean up. It's time for us to go home. Okay? I don't know what it is. It doesn't bother me to talk about money in church because I don't have a problem with it. I've already turned in my commitment card. I don't have a problem with it. Write my tithe check every week. Something I like to do as part of my worship, part of my worship experience. That was impressed upon me when I, when I was a, a, a teenager, and I've been doing it ever since then. And God is blessed. I can give you testimony to that. But somehow we're, we're fascinated by money. This is an incredible figure, I think. The, the top 1% of U.S. United States earners control more money than all of the middle class. That's something to think about, isn't it? In this country, a half a percent of our population controls 40% of the nation's wealth. One of the ones you think about so great and, and, and mighty with money and wealthy is Bill Gates. Bill Gates is so rich if the attorney general was successful uh, in getting a, a court to fine Microsoft a million dollars a day for trying to monopolize access to the Internet, how long before Bill Gates would go broke? Ten years after this earth crashes into the sun. That's a lot of wealth. 
We tend to be, we tend to be fascinated by wealth. And we, are, we have to understand, money is, is significant and it's important. It's important to your livelihood and your family. It's important in the life of the church. That's why Jesus talked about money than a whole lot of other subjects that you can find in the scripture. Somehow we have a problem about managing it. You know, it's like the guy was balancing their, their, their finances one night and he called to his wife and he says, well, you know the old saying that money talks? He said, I was just said so long. <laughs> we live in a country that runs on money and it seems like we never have enough of it. I mean, where we are in debt as a nation is just astronomical, isn't it? Great, great, grandchildren, if, if the world lasts that long, will be paying off that indebtedness. And, I, and our congressmen, people in Washington, just they don't see any problem about it. Just borrow, borrow, borrow against it. Or they're going to tax us on money we haven't made yet. That, to me, is the most ridiculous one of everything I've heard so far. You know, we're so used to money, our children today have a different perspective about money. One mother went to the ATM machine, let a little girl punch in the numbers, and the money came out that she wanted to draw, and the little girl said, look, Mommy, we won. <laughs> well, somebody's written this. I, I think this is significant. If you get behind the, the scenes of the life of the rich and wealthy and the lifestyle that they live, you'll find that there's, there's not a difference in the level of happiness. In fact, two people made some quotes recently in some magazine, fairly recently anyway. One is Ross Perot. That several years ago, he was interviewed in, in Fortune magazine, and, and he said these words. He said, remember, if you get real lucky, if you make a lot of money, if you go out and buy a lot of stuff, it's going to break. You got your biggest, fanciest mansion in the world. It has air conditioning. It's got a pool. Just think of all the pumps that are going to go out. Or go to the yacht basin in any place in the world. Now, this was the one I never thought of before. Go to the yacht basin in any place in the world, and nobody is smiling. The only time I've ever seen a yacht basin, I guess, is in Charleston or in the harbor at, at Hilton Head. Never thought about that. Nobody's smiling. And he says, I'll tell you why. Something broke that morning. The generator's out. The microwave doesn't work. Things just don't mean happiness. Another one, actor Brad Pitt in an interview with Rolling Stone says, once you got everything, then you're just left with yourself. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Wow, we've got a lot of emphasis on money. We desire most of us to have more. Yeah, I think that's what behind is what is behind a trend in our culture. It's a it's a improportionate response to what God has done, blessing us. There's more wealth in this country today than ever before. If you're worried about being rich, let me tell you something. Here's the biblical definition of being rich. If you had two outfits of clothes. And food for that day, at the beginning of that day, according to the Bible, you are rich. I mean, I would imagine for most of us gathered here today and most everybody listening to the broadcast, we're rich because you have that. You have that, don't you? But yet all we want is just a little bit more. 
Isn't that right? Just a little bit more. And when it comes time to talking about church and money, you know, for some reason we talk about everything else for about 50 Sundays. And, and, and it doesn't matter. You get a good response. That's great. You talk about money, well, well, you know, okay. I don't think the church ought to be talking about money. What? As much as it's in the Bible, you don't think the church ought to be talking about money? The problem so many people have managing, mismanaging money is because the church hasn't talked about money enough. It's the same thing about sex. We've got a sexual revolution going on out there. But that's taboo to talk about that in church. You, know, leave, leave that. you don't want the school to teach them. You don't want the church to teach them. And you're not going to teach your children about it. Who is? No wonder we got problems in our culture today, all kinds. And one of them is about money. Great things about money. Great challenge. And another scripture today, same scripture we had a couple of weeks ago because it gives us our theme about giving for eternity for our 2022 plan, uh, for financial plan of ministry. It's our budget. And we have to realize that money is important. Jesus spoke about it. It's the fuel that drives our, our, our nation's uh, engine. Almost every decision made in government, business, and even nonprofit organizations hinges on the question of how much money will it cost and how much will it make? We all have to do the same thing with your family. Problem is we don't know how to handle it well. That's why the average 25 to 34 year old United States citizens today spends 25 cents out of every dollar earned on debt payments. And the reality is when you don't know how to handle money well, when you don't know how to manage money well, and you don't follow the biblical teachings about money, you get in that situation. And you might want to give and glorify God, but you don't have it to give. You got to get a, you got to get a handle on your finances. And it's not going to happen overnight. Let's look at the scripture today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus is asking us a question. Where is your treasure? And we're talking about the theme, giving for eternity. Listen again to what Jesus talked about, about our treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now listen to this phrase. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus is challenging us about where our treasure might be as we ask that question. Benjamin Franklin, how wise he was, once said, if your riches are yours, why don't you take them with you when you go to the other world? That's a good thought, isn't it? They're not yours. You leave it behind. We're just managing it for a short time for Jesus. And he gives us some questions here. 
about some tests, I think, to take to see how well we're managing and to know where our treasure is. First, he gives us the durability test. It's like an ever-ready battery test with a little rabbit. You know, how long will it last? Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. When you store all your treasures on earth, what happens? Well, Jesus said, the moths eat holes in your finest wool garments. Rust takes care of your automobiles and other things that you hold close in value. Thieves will break into your house and steal your greatest earthly treasures. A market makes a, a sharp correction, they call it, and your investments might be cut in half. You know, always a fire or a tornado or, or something threatens to destroy our homes and businesses and all of those kinds of things. And then eventually we die and we leave everything behind anyway. So does your treasure pass the durability test? Not if it's on earth, it doesn't. Heaven is a far safer place. In fact, it's the only safe house to stockpile your wealth because in heaven there are no moths, no rust, no thieves, no bear markets, and no earthquakes. Once you get your money transferred to heaven, it's safe and secure for all eternity. It's permanent. And the second test Jesus gives is the heart test. Verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this is, maybe this is a difficult verse to understand. See, I think a lot of us read it by saying that where your heart is is where you will place your treasure. That's not what Jesus said in it. We have a tendency to think if your heart is right with God, if you're head over heels in love with God, if you feel overwhelmingly grateful for all that God has done for you, if you're a super spiritual saint, then you will give your treasure to God. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says just the opposite. He says wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart will follow. Think about all the different places you put your earthly treasure. Where do you put your money? Where do you invest your money? And then think about the fact that your heart then follows that treasure, right? Wherever you put your treasure, there your heart will go. If you store up treasure on earth, then what's going to happen? Your heart's going to be focused on all the things on earth that you want, that you can accumulate. But if your heart, is, is, if you choose to store up your treasure in heaven, then your heart will be more excited about heaven. And as a result, you will end up going closer to God because you'll be eager to see him one day face to face. When you choose to invest your life in God's purposes, you will find that your heart will fall deeply in love with God. Deeply in love with God. Where you put your treasure, it's what you're most interested in. And that's where your heart will be. Should be the kingdom of God for all of us who have experienced the gospel and the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. 
who gave his all on the cross, was crucified, dead, and buried, but then resurrected from the dead to prove that he was the Son of God and is the Son of God. And by doing so, we can find salvation in that. We can find the forgiveness of our sins. We find the gospel experience in that. Then the third thing Jesus talks about is the eye test. So how does that relate to this thing about treasure? Well, listen to what he says. The eye, in verses 22 through 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus says, your eye is a window by which light gets into your body. If light is a picture of the truth, then you're full of truth. If you're full of light, you're full of truth. And your perspective on life is clear. And it's accurate. But if your eyes are bad, if they're covered with spiritual cataracts, then you're living in spiritual darkness. In this particular setting, Jesus says, what caused your eyesight to be bad is materialism. It's the pursuit of money and everything that money can buy. And what happens is you become a slave to greed when your number one focus is on money. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He didn't say money is. He says the love of money is, right? Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's why Jesus said, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness, Luke eleven thirty five. 35. See, by choosing to focus on spiritual goals more than material goals, your eyesight is clean. The light within you is right and pure and you're focused on the right treasure in the right place. And then he gives us the master test. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know what his spiritual life was like in all reality, but boy, I don't think it was much, but boy, what a force Mark Twain could have been for the kingdom of God. What a sharp mind he had. Once while lecturing in Utah, he got into an argument with a Mormon about polygamy, and the Mormon very, very piously said, Find me a single passage of scripture that forbids polygamy. And Mark Twain says, certainly, no man can serve two masters. Short reality is most people on earth serve money as if it was a God. It's a natural trap to fall into. We tend to worship that which we think will bring us the most security and comfort in life. The only way to cure that is that we serve, we, we serve God and we refuse to serve money as our God. See, our passage today, the primary message Jesus is given is about generosity towards God with your money. He wants us to know that when we put our treasure in heaven, 
we're doing the biblically correct thing. We're doing the spiritually correct thing. And that God will bless that. And when you put that first, when you hoard up treasures in heaven by sending it on first, rather than hoarding up treasures here, then you pass these tests, and especially that eye test. And then the exciting thing is, is when we give money to God, we don't lose anything. We're simply pushing it on ahead. We're making an investment ahead. So how much in eternal treasure have you accumulated in heaven? Where is your treasure? I pointed out earlier that there's more wealth, more income in today's culture than ever before. Markets hitting all kind of record highs. We're just kind of anxiously waiting around for that market correction, right? But at the same time, there's that inverse proportion to being blessed and to what we give. People today give less than ever before. Christians today, church people, give less percentage of their money today than people did during the Great Depression. You got more money than ever before, but you're giving less than ever before. You know, stark reality. We got about 1,600 and some members in the life of this church. Some of them are standing on the promises. Some of them are sitting on the premises. You know, some of them are at home. We don't know where half of them are. You know, some we haven't seen since March of 2020. Don't know if we'll ever see them again. But the stark reality is, if everybody in the life of the church, if every family tithed biblically, we would have a tremendous amount of money for the glory of God. Look at all we give for missions. Look at all we can invest in in, in, in in our community alone. Why does it take money to do that? Because it takes money today, more money than ever before for everything, including the kingdom of God. It's got to be done right. It's got to be done well. It's got to be done sharp. You've got a culture out there that's seen money invested in everything else that attracts them. The church can't be shabby. It's got to be. It's got to be the cutting edge with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it takes more money than ever before. I don't make any bones about saying that. And I don't think Jesus did either. Because he challenges us about giving and handling money correctly. One thing for sure is you can't take anything with you when you die. Remember these words that were etched on a tombstone. What I spent, I lost. What I saved, I left. What I gave, I have. That's the secret to investing your treasure in heaven. That's the secret to that. So I ask you today, where's your treasure? Jesus is asking that, challenging you that. And I will tell you that, yes, it takes a great deal of faith and self-will and planning and budgeting to give biblically. And that means to give generously, to give God the first fruits, that first 10% on your commitment card. You ask, will you tithe? And this amount will be this. Or you will give generously and will be this amount. And you have the opportunity there also to, to give uh, continually for to the building fund for our renovation of the children's area, the sanctuary, and the, uh, the walkways, and all the things that we did a few years ago. You have the opportunity on that commitment card to make a decision. 
I hope you've done that and prayed about that. Ready to turn them in as you leave today. Place them in the baskets. Got two here in the, in, the, in the worship area, one in the atrium. Or you can mail it back in. This is what happens when you store up treasures in heaven. It makes a difference in the lives of people now. We're investing in kingdom causes. It helps people find eternal life in Jesus for all eternity. And it will benefit your life now and for all eternity. So I just simply ask you the question, where is your treasure? That's what Jesus was asking you. And he challenges us to give for eternity. So today is Stewardship Commitment Day in the midst of several other things that are going on. If you haven't made a stewardship commitment today, then I would pray that you get a card, the in the atrium, or you can ask for another one from the office, or you might go through your mail somewhere at home and find it. You haven't opened it yet. Make a commitment. Make a commitment that will honor God and allow you to invest in eternity. Father, we thank you that you have provided for us everything that we need. Scripture tells us that when we come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, then that you have provided us with all things. And we thank you, Father, for blessing us so abundantly. Help us, we pray, to be faithful in managing all the resources that you give to us. Help us to, to be committed to your kingdom, the growth of your kingdom, and especially through the life of Spring Valley Baptist Church as we serve here. That we can be a great force for eternal values in this community and in this diverse culture that needs the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful stewards of all that you give to us so that we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.